It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's a place here at the table. Your coats go by the door. You can kick your shoes off in that pile on the floor. I hope you wore elastic because your waistband's going to get tight. Take time. It's Ari and Sophie, and you are listening to Having a Night, the podcast dedicated to reviving the lost art of the dinner party. It's been so snowy here all week. Is it snowing up where you are? Is it snowing where we are? Actually, for the first time, you probably got more snow than we did because of some weird weather pattern. But yes, it's very snowy here as well. Buckets. So exciting. Can I tell you like how inept I am in terms of like being a helper during a snowstorm? Like I just want to stay inside and like have hot cocoa and make some kind of stew or bolognese or something. Yeah. But you know, there was a lot of snow and and we, you know, the, the family needed some help. And so I was put on a shoveling mission on um, like part of the roof. That's like yeah. for people, not like on a slant. Like it's like there's a people. little skylight and like a terrace. Mm-hmm. And I'm up there with my boyfriend and we're shoveling. It's like, I think I'm doing a good job. Third shovel, I, I throw the whole shovel over the roof. Out of the movie. And then Chris is like, okay, hold on. I have to go inside, like check the time or something. I'm like, all right, I'm going to keep up this work. I grab his shovel. I, second shovel, the whole handle breaks off. I was just like, okay, I'm done. This is not where my strengths lie. Oh my God. That is... <laughs> Know thyself. Stay inside and cook the food. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Sorry, guys. I'm not made for manual labor. That is priceless. Truly. What did you cook during a snowstorm? What did I cook? Okay. Well, what I ate this week, which I'm very excited about because I just had it for lunch, is okay. So, Stone Barns is doing these chef in residence, which, if Mm -hmm. our listeners don't know what Stone Barns is, Stone Barns is an agricultural center that's linked with a very, very fancy restaurant called Blue Hill. They're doing a bunch of boxes, obviously, during COVID. And they're now doing the chef-in-residence program. And Harry and I got a box from the chef-in-residence this week, which was a chef named Shola Olunloyo, um, who's a Nigerian chef. And this chicken soup blew my mind. Okay, So here's what was so exciting to me. Obviously the broth was beyond gelatinous. It was so crazy. It was so good. Then he made a paste out of all of these different herbs and spices. So I, there was definitely cinnamon, cardamom, maybe a little bit of nutmeg, maybe some kind of like a bay leaf or something, but I could be wrong. Mashed it into a paste, which you then whisked into the broth. And then he had diced celery, carrots, something else green. I'm not sure what it was, but that had like a celery texture, some chicken, but here's what was wild. The broth was unsalted, but the vegetables had clearly like been 
blanched in really, really salty water. So they had all of the salt in them. So it was Mm -hmm. this amazing thing where like the broth was really nicely balanced and then you would bite into a piece of the vegetable and it was like really just salty deliciousness. It was so good. And I mean, what is better than a chicken soup on a snow day? I'm so jealous. Hot chocolate is me. Maybe tops it, but it was really, really, really good. Oh my God. Well, you win. Goodbye. You have. No, tell me. That sounds so good though. It was really good. And there was also, there was a jollof rice, which was so amazing. Jollof rice that came with a really good sausage, like a very, very aromatic sausage and a goosey stew. Oh my God. It was a fantastic meal. Really, really fantastic meal. But that chicken soup, I just thought that idea of like having the vegetables be really salty instead of the broth was so genius. Cause it's, Hmm. I feel like broth goes from having, if it's not flavorful enough, then of course it doesn't taste salty, but if the broth has enough flavor, I don't think you need to add that much salt. Really? Cause I've heard the opposite in like, in terms of when, when people make homemade stock and they're like, this doesn't taste like anything. I don't know why I wouldn't just buy stock from a, like a can or a box. I've heard chefs say like, well, you actually need to add way more salt than you think, because when you're buying it from a can or a box, like what you're used to, or when you go to a restaurant, it is, the salt is just going to bring out the flavor. And often without the salt, it, people think it tastes like nothing. Right. I mean, I think think you are probably, no, I think you're probably right. And the truth is the broth was probably salted, but it was, I thought that it needed salt until I tasted the vegetables. Does that make sense? Right. So it's like, yes, yes. And I'm sure that it was so, so much more flavorful than a broth that your average home cook is making. And it's also not a stock, it's a broth. So you win. What's the difference? I think a stock is not made usually, um, it's not as flavorful. It's usually made with more bones than meat. Ah, oh, such a good point. Oh, it was a broth. Okay, <laughs> now you tell me what you ate. Um, last night, we had these, I, I did not cook. Chris's mother made these delicious, really wonderful meal. Like, I'm a sucker for like a individually stuffed squash or pepper situation. I knew you were going to say individually stuffed squash. I well, you are making the the, the international sign for individually <laughs> stuffed squash with your hands together, cup together. Of course, she means a <laughs> squash, and it was filled with this mixture of like ground beef and I think bulgur and maybe some raisins and pine nuts, like kind of Moroccan, a bunch of spices in there. Really nice. Uh, um, and then a salad with some similar to your broth situation, some, uh, arugula, a really, really nice zippy kind of lemon dressing, some grilled halloumi, and then some spiced cauliflower, uh, mm. roasted cauliflower, but the cauliflower was super kind of spicy and salty. Whereas the rest of the salad was mellow and, um, like zesty and yeah. the salt of the cauliflower was really delightful in contrast. So today's about contrast and salt. I mean, salt is really, I was about to say like, is beef the unsung hero of the kitchen? But it's all about salt. It's all about salt. It is. Okay, guys, this week, oh, we have such a fantastic episode for you. We're so excited. We have on Andy Murphy, otherwise known as the voice behind Toasted Sister, which is a podcast all about indigenous food, indigenous foodies, She also works full-time at a radio station. This is her passion project, but I read about it in the Sever 100, which is like my favorite compilation of all the food things that comes out every year. And I started listening to it and was just so blown away by the work that she's doing. It's also a zine. I mean, she's, she's doing all kinds of stuff, but it's a zine. She has killer merch. 
Mm-hmm. You can find all kinds of resources about supporting indigenous farmers, and you can also please support her work by merch at toastedsisterpodcast.com. I'm sure you can find it wherever you get podcasts, you follow can. her. She also has been on Cherry Bomb a couple of times, which is another female-led food podcast, although they're mm-hmm. much more professional than we are. I mean, I was really listening to her on Cherry Bomb. I was so moved by listening to her talk about indigenous food and the revitalization of indigenous food and using the ingredients that are from this country, like from the land that we are living on. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just a really beautiful sentiment and we really adored speaking to her. So with that, enjoy. So here we are with the incredible Andy Murphy from Toasted Sister Podcast. I guess just to start, I would love to talk a little bit about the creation of Toasted Sister and sort of as a journalist, what led you to start a podcast that's all about Native cuisine and Native American foodies and sort of, I guess, kind of a question of like, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah. So um, uh, I've always been a journalist. Um, you know, I, my my early years of um, uh, my journalism career, I was like a features writer slash, you know, like the food reporter, the food reviewer in this uh, uh, city called Las Cruces, New Mexico, which is in southern New Mexico. And that's where I went to uh, college as well. From there, you know, just, just being that food writer, being that foodie, the resident foodie at the paper, mm-hmm. I got to learn like so much about food and about food from all over the world in, in this little city, because there's like, you know, a couple of Vietnamese places, Chinese places, Thai places, Indian mm-hmm. <laughs> places, all kinds of Mexican places. So I got to um, uh, learn a whole lot about food there. And I just really became obsessed mm-hmm. after that. Like <laughs> I had to watch the food network all the time, yes. any kind of food show that was on, I had to watch that you know, had to, had to read like all the articles about food and culture. And then, you know, going behind the plate with uh, like more serious issues like access and, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, um, climate change and, you know, just the environment in the kitchen and around, um, around food. So I really became, you know, uh, obsessed and and educated um, about, about food and I carried that with me to my current job here at Native America Calling, which is a radio show about Native American issues and topics. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a producer there. So I uh, find guests. Um, I come up with the topics that we're going to be talking about for an hour and then, um, you know, interview all of these guests. And these are like, you know, Native um uh, experts in, mm-hmm. you know, if either it's culture, science, law, you know, all kinds of current events. So I, I talk to people who are in the know, people who are movers and shakers in just all of Native America every day. And that's my job. So <laughs> and, cool. um, but yeah. I always had this passion for food. And I did my first um, uh, show about Native American food, maybe like a couple months after I, I got this new job here. I either talked to Sean Sherman from the Sioux Chef mm-hmm. or um, uh, Nephi Craig uh, over in White Mountain Apache, but I, I talked to one of them. 
for the first time. And then from there, I had to, you know, learn about Native American food. Like my obsession just kind of turned over to Native American food and what was kind of like the height or maybe even the beginning of this whole Native food movement. Mm -hmm. And so so I wanted to just produce shows all about food. (laughs) My editor was like, no, you can't do that. Uh, you, You have to do shows about other stuff too. So uh, it was my coworker. She was like, you know, you have all the skills here. You have all the equipment here at the studio. Why don't you just start a podcast? Oh, and man, so I that's thought, awesome. you know, that, that would be cool. Uh, that, that would be um, pretty awesome. So, so I, you know, put together the website. I got myself an account over at uh, SoundCloud. Got it all together, drew my little logo, that little corn mic thing. So good. Love it. <laughs> and then um, uh, lined up my first interview, and that was uh, Carlos Baca about four years ago. Wow. So that's been, that. that's the Congrats. start of it. Yeah, thank you. So <laughs> it, amazing. It's four years, and there's still so much more to talk about. I mean, in the last, you know, two years, it's really picked up. People are starting to listen to it. People are starting to... Uh, listen to me too so it's weird like being on the other side of the mic or the other side of the interview totally. um, to tell my story because you know I just had my head down I'm the journalist I'm the one who asked the question and then you know all of a sudden it's like tables turn and I'm like talking about my story <laughs> talking, yes. about, um, talking about it as you know um, a knowledgeable person. And, you know, I, I like to think I am, you know, a knowledgeable person after talking to 70 plus people right. about Native American food. So here I am. And thank you guys for having me on your show. <laughs> when you started, sorry, I'm just so excited. But when you started, <laughs> did you think that you were going to find out? I don't know. Were you like, yes, I believe that this has four years worth of stuff? Or was it like the ground just sort of opened beneath you and suddenly you were in this whole other world. <laughs> yeah, the latter. Um, I, I I didn't realize that it was going to be, you know, this this whole wealth of information because uh, literally I just kind of like put my head down and just got to work. But, you know, when I um, started to get obsessed, I mean, you, you know, for me, I have to be obsessed with something or else I'll just like go crazy just being bored and not doing anything so Same. I'll just have to ask something yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm obsessed. <laughs> right um so so when I started getting obsessed about you know learning about Native American food and learning about who all of these Native chefs and farmers were out there like it I, I just like that that's my role as a storyteller is mm-hmm. to get those stories out there and put them in this podcast space where there's no native food in this whole wide world of podcasting. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's what my fire was, was to just like, is, you know, still yeah. Yeah. to put these native food voices in this space where there was, where there is none. And I think that's what a lot of native people are up against when we're trying to do a lot of things is we're the only ones. You know, starting from college, like we're the only native person in the whole class of like 500 or whatever, or we're the only native person in town. It seems like (laughs) I was the only native person at the newspaper. So, um, you know, filling that void uh, has always kind of been 
you know, my life's work, but, you know, I like to fill it with other people's stories because I'm a journalist. Yeah. What about food you grew up eating? Like when did this, when did your obsession start? Like, were there certain dishes as a kid that like you still make to this day, certain flavors, anything that like really feels like a home that to just kind of lead us more into the the foodie part of the interview? Yeah. Well, the kind of foods that I grew up eating were not like traditional Navajo food or or, or native food at all, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because we, we grew up poor. And this is a, the a common story in Native America. You know, uh, my family, we grew up poor. So we had a lot of simple poor man's foods, a lot of plain white rice. Uh, potatoes and ground beef and you know really really kind of simple fast foods like that cheap and fast foods like that but it's been kind of it's been kind of hard to like you know immerse myself into that culture because I've been so separate right you know I've been I've been so separate you know my family really got assimilated (laughs) Yeah, and that that's that's a common story in Native America. I mean, you have people who are really traditional, and you know they're really close to their culture and their language. But at the same time, there are families like mine who, you know, gener like two generations ago, you know, my great grandma or my grandma was forced to stop practicing Navajo culture, and that trickled down to my parents, and then that trickled down to me. So. I don't have the mentors, I think, is what I'm trying to say. I don't have the mentors. I don't have that in my family where I could just easily say, hey, you know, grandma or somebody, (laughs) you know, help me help me learn about these things. I don't I don't have those kind of connections. Well, I mean, in a funny way, it's like even though you didn't have the mentors within your own family in doing this podcast, I imagine you've actually encountered so many people who function as mentors in a way. I guess has doing this podcast and been being introduced so much to to native cuisine has it changed the way that you are cooking the ingredients that you're buying or do you feel like you haven't really do you feel like you haven't necessarily um mixed that in with your own cooking so far you know it's hard to put like a definition on native cuisine yeah. um it, it's it's uh, the ingredients that I'm starting to stock mm-hmm. in my pantry um and I think with, you know, the internet now, I can have access to wild rice from the Great Lakes tribes right. and maple syrup from the East Coast tribes and, you know, tea, wild teas from, you know, these, uh, these little food companies out there. And so that's how I've been able to, um, you know, taste all of these things that I've been hearing stories about and writing articles about. And that's been the really fun thing. Um, But it's not like I'm taking like somebody's really traditional recipe and bringing it into my own home. I'm just like pairing some really awesome buttery wild rice with some baked chicken. Right, (laughs) right, right. And Brussels sprouts or, you know, using quinoa with, you know, corn stock and maple syrup and having like a really good pudding. I mean, that's, that's how I've been able to introduce all of these things into 
into my own diet. And it's really cool to be able to taste these things that I've been writing about for so long. Yes. Um, and I'm really thankful for like all of the uh, native food entrepreneurs out there because they can give that to me as a writer and they can give that to, um, you know, non-native people who are just curious about what some of these things taste like or who just want to, you know, support a, a native uh, business. So yeah, I hope to learn I, more about about native cooking because there's a lot more. Um, there's this whole you know other world of like wild foods um, right. and game meats that right. you know is a little bit intimidating to me because I don't have that access and I don't have that knowledge. Um, I don't think I've ever had um, deer before or wild turkey before <laughs> or you know. Um, things like that that would be part of like traditional you know Navajo diet right, um, I've sure. never had wild you know all the kinds of wild roots and other wild um you know foods before um which would be that labeled traditional you know mm-hmm. Navajo diet Navajo food you know what's going on right now you know the the native chefs who are doing their thing out there I think they are really you know, at the forefront of all of this, they're showing people how to um, cook all of these different things. Because, yeah, like like for me, the, I don't have that knowledge. But to see it on a plate, you know, for me, I'm like a visual learner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to see it on a plate, I'm like, oh, you know, that's how you can use, you know, a blue cornmeal in like 17,000 different ways. You know, that's yeah. how you can use salmon in so many different kinds of ways and all of these different ingredients in all of these different ways. So it's like hopefully sparking, you know, inspiration in not only me, but like other, other Native people. I, I want to talk for a second about obviously the uncomfortable topic of appropriation, because I was listening to your fantastic episode with Sean Sherman and he was talking about his indigenous food lab and how he wants to keep it open sourced, that he doesn't really seem worried about who is using it. The point is that the knowledge is getting out there. And I was wondering, after speaking with so many Native chefs, Native foodies, how how you feel about that subject? It's still like a very confusing subject. <laughs> and um, I, I was asked this question last week. And, um, you know, I think I made people feel uncomfortable when Mm -hmm. I just said, I don't know, just stay in your lane. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, know, I like for for me, I know my place. I know, like, I love cooking Middle Eastern food. Like Mm -hmm. Afghan food is like my jam. I love it. I just finished Mm -hmm. off a whole giant pot of (laughs) ash, which is, uh, you know, Afghan soup. But Mm -hmm. I will never ever like take money to make it for somebody or do a whole workshop, like he's doing food with Andy Murphy or open a restaurant. I would never, ever do that because that's not mine. Right. You know? And I think like white people have a hard time being told no. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) we do. Um, um, And, you know, it just shows like a lack of creativity too. And mm-hmm. a lack of connection with your own self mm-hmm. uh, when you go and steal from other people's culture. I mean, you can have your fusion food all you want, and that's, I think that's cool. But, you know, pretending you're some kind of expert in right. it, you know, um, like Rick Bayless, 
uh, for, mm-hmm. like cookbooks and you know television deals and stuff like that. And it's not even your own. Mm-hmm. It just takes all authenticity out of it. And you know, it, it's it's just like it's an empty kind of it's an empty food. It's an empty plate. It doesn't have any real connection or heart in it. And, be creative and look into your own culture, wherever that's at. If it's back in like Germany, <laughs> go see what's over there, but stop, stop poking around and stealing our stuff. Yeah. I'm not opening a Native American restaurant anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. What do you think are some of the most common misunderstandings about indigenous food, cultivation, cooking, ingredients? Like, what do you feel like you've encountered in these last four years of doing so much of this work? I think a lot of people don't understand that many of the things that they eat today have roots in indigenous uh, indigenous communities, yeah. uh, like corn, beans, and squash. Yeah. potatoes, chocolate, chili. Uh, none of these other countries would have any of that if it wasn't for that science <laughs> yeah. and that tradition, that agriculture tradition and knowledge yeah. of yeah. indigenous people in Mexico and here. You know, um, it's become like chili has become such a huge part of uh, Asian cuisine. Mm-hmm and chocolate in Europe and tomatoes in, you know, Italy and Mm -hmm. everywhere all throughout the world, but it has its origin here. And I don't think people, people realize that. So that's one, one thing that I think people get wrong about native American food is that it has its origins here. It's just, um, you know, kind of took on its own, its own thing after it was like either stolen or, or traded you know, um, corn started in Mexico and through all these ancient trade routes, it came to be such a huge part of native culture here, like in the present day United States. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and all that knowledge has been passed down, um, you know, and traded that way. So I, I think that's that's pretty cool. But a lot of these things aren't mentioned in history books. When native people are <laughs> mentioned in history books, it's like, oh, they, you know nuts and berries and then uh, that's it <laughs> right native americans right. nuts and berries and buffalo and then that's it oh <laughs> also i think people don't realize how delicious and how just filling native american food is 
What are some of your favorite dishes? Yeah. (laughs) Anything with blue cornmeal. Yes. Or yellow cornmeal. I mean, any kind of like corn thing. (laughs) 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 You know, tortillas, uh, like corn tortillas. I just like anything on top of a corn tortilla. That's Mm -hmm. my favorite. And you can say that's indigenous. Wild rice and wild rice salads. Those Mm. are, are like just my favorite and um I just had this a couple weeks ago but like a uh squash bisque or squash soup Mm -hmm. not the kind with like all the butter and the cream and everything but the kind that's just like water salt and squash I don't know how that works because (laughs) I've tried it once and I'm like it doesn't taste like how chefs. This is not that. Did it. This doesn't taste like that one fancy dinner I had yeah. you know, a few years ago. This is something. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's because squash. they roast it on a fire and it gives them like so much more depth, right? Uh, of course, in it, yeah. Um, before they put it in in water and everything, but um, that is my favorite. Also, um, bison meatballs. Ooh, <laughs> ground bison. Um, but, but that's also my favorite, but you know, when you have a whole meal or at least for me, when I've, I've had a couple of like, you know, three course meals, seven course meals that are all like indigenous food. And mm. I've made that, you know, two years ago, uh, for Christmas for my family here. Mm-hmm. Um, but after you have a big dinner like that, you just feel like full, but not like, Oh my God, I had to unbutton my pants full, but mm. like. I feel like nice and full (laughs) and I, you know, you don't, you don't have that, like you have energy, you know, sometimes after you have a big meal, you're just like, I just want to sit around or take a leisurely walk. But you know, after you eat native food, it's like, I want to go like do something. (laughs) Yeah. It's so magical. (laughs) Yeah. it, It has a different kind of feeling within, within me. And I think that is what, you know, people talk about when they talk about like that spiritual connection to food, you know, it's in our DNA, all of this food, we've, yeah. we've been eating these foods for thousands of years. And so yeah. our body has been growing up with, with this food and to have it again, it just feels nice. People talk about like the blood type diet. It should be like your native ancestral land. diet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'll you know, be eating food. nothing but borscht <laughs> and pickled garlic. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, uh, you know, the, um, another thing people get wrong about native American food is that it's fry bread or an Indian taco. That's like the first thing that'll probably come up in your Google search. Mm. If you look for native American food or indigenous food is a fry bread with, you know, beans and meat and mm. lettuce, tomatoes, onions on it. But that's something that came, I don't know, a couple hundred years ago, uh, around like the late 1800s, you know, during all those, all of those conflicts and war times, it came from prison camps which, you know, kind of turned into reservations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people were torn away from their land and put on into these prison camps and then given food from the government. You know, so flour so like rations, time. right, right. Rations, wow. yeah, those kinds of rations. So that's where that's where fiber comes from. And people, you know, you can see it in two ways. You can see, see it as like resiliency, 
And then you can see it as like, just as painful, painful past and this painful Mm -hmm. piece of bread, but it's delicious and resilient, but it's painful and fatty, you know? So there's, this is a controversial topic, fry bread. It's, it's, you know, this, I, this, this poster child of native American food, but then, you know, all the work that's happening here in this whole native food movement is to just get rid of that. And to show you, this is fresher, (laughs) it's tastier, and um, it's, it's, you know, has more meaning and more depth than fry bread. Mm -hmm. And that's the important part that we should focus on here. In the last four years in your explorations, is most of what you are learning about intertribal cuisine or your Navajo, have you like discovered certain Navajo dishes? Have you been able to link certain dishes to certain tribes? I'm just so interested in sort of how it's progressed. You know, we traded, you know, the trade routes and everything. We, we traded food and ingredients and they traded that kind of knowledge. So it's hard to like pinpoint like where these dishes come from, like what mm-hmm. exact tribe, because we, you know, and, and just individually, if, you know, my ancestor back then didn't like the taste of wild carrots, then they didn't, like, she didn't teach it to her granddaughter or right. her, her daughter. So, exactly. You know, it, it all has like that kind of personal, personal touch too. Um, so it's hard to say what is traditional um, and what is not, but um, those trade routes are still here today, you know, yeah. um, with the, with the, you know, seed keepers, Yes. In this native community, I see them trading seeds all the time. Right. Um, and you know, with recipes, I can watch somebody's, you know, uh, TikTok video or you know, just look at the dish that they're making and learn about how I could use this kind of corn in a different way. Right. Or attend like any of these workshops that these native chefs are doing these days and learn how to do something else. And um, it is like this intertribal uh culinary fair that's going on right now that that's there right now which I think is is pretty cool and pretty tasty um but you know one one thing I learned doing all of this work um in the last you know four years and more is that lots of people don't know how to cook and that's the same in native communities too or you know one family will will just have like you know five recipes and that's that's pretty much it. And it's hard for them to incorporate different flavors and you know break away from that mm-hmm. kind of tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you know, I'm not I'm not like judging judging them too harshly, but <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, people need to learn how to cook because if you don't know how to cook, then all of this work that these native chefs are doing and these native farmers are doing and all of these nonprofit groups that are popping up to, you know, revitalize native American food, all of that work means nothing if we can't True. bring it into our own pantries. And, um, you know, I hope that, you know, just people on social media uh, young, young people, especially, you know, people my age too, are looking at some of these videos and they're like, Oh man, that looks cool. I want to try to do that. Or, you know, they have inspiration there. 
because yeah. for a long time there was no like native inspiration in these in these spaces you know yeah. now we're we're starting to fill the internet and fill social media with foods that are ours and all of these cool ideas yeah. <laughs> and have you do you feel like there has been like an extraordinary response in that way like do you feel that young people in native communities are being like oh but are you getting response from people basically saying like wow, I'm seeing your work and it's opening my eyes. Yeah, I get a response like that in my email every now and then. <laughs> some, some native persons, uh, you know, introducing themselves saying, um, I'm from, you know, this tribe and I was listening to your podcast or I found, you know, through your podcast, I found so-and-so and I started, you know, eating more native food. And that's like my goal in life. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> as a storyteller so and as a, as a journalist, you know, I I want I want somebody to get a hold of these stories and, you know, connect and be inspired to cook in the kitchen and learn how to do some of these things in the kitchen. But, um, you know, I'm watching all of these native chefs and all of these native farmers and all of these native foodies doing their thing out there and they're always like working with kids and you know doing workshops and classes I mean you know I think just because the nature of (laughs) what we do we're just automatically like educators (laughs) right Mm -hmm. Um, right which is which is cool I mean sometimes there's pressure but other times we're just like oh you know I taught you know this this young kid how to do something and now he has a life skill. <laughs> yeah. I, taught, I, I taught a bunch of kids how to make salad dressing for the first time. Ooh. None of them had ever done that before. And they were like at middle school, like eighth grade, wow. ninth grade ish. And I taught them how to make salad dressing. And some of them, that was the first time that they had um, uh, blueberries for the first time. <laughs> What'd you put in your salad dressing? Teach us how to make salad dressing. Oh my dressing. God. Can we get a recipe? <laughs> it was a, it was a wild rice, um, salad. So I just had like, mm. you know, salad greens, wild rice, mm-hmm. um, strawberries, blueberries, raspberries. Mm. And I was going to do like a pomegranate salad dressing because that's, that's, you know, a, an ingredient I had when I was putting together the menu. Mm-hmm. Um, but I couldn't find any pomegranates um, there when I, when I was doing my workshop. And so I just like, um, scrambled a little bit and bought some extra raspberries. So we made like a raspberry vinaigrette. Yum, um, yeah. So, so that was, that was really like, you know, fun for me to see these young, young people, you know, excited about, about food. Um, so I see about all that kind of work happening in, you know, all kinds of different, native communities out there because people are posting about it. And that's where I get the bulk of my knowledge is yeah. social media and just keeping an eye on everybody. Yeah. Right. <laughs> is there anything that you would like to highlight, like any particular brands or foods that you've loved? I've bought, I bought some popcorn, which has been so good. I accidentally bought 48 pounds of it. I, I just bought that. some beans. <laughs> I just bought some beans that I'm so excited to try. I bought some jerky. And it's just so exciting to me to, first of all, because I want to support and because I'm like, wow, I get to try foods that I just don't have that much knowledge of. And how fucking cool is that? You know? So if, is there anything that you want to highlight? Do you want to direct people to a certain part of your website? 
Yeah, definitely that uh, native-owned food businesses page on my website. There you can see a literal list, and then you can see a map of uh, restaurants and catering companies in um, you know the United States and Canada. Yeah, I mean there there are nonprofits like um, the Intertribal Agriculture Council. They a really awesome workhorse in all of this. They make it, I mean, it's, it's like their job to <laughs> hi- highlight and uplift uh, uh-huh. native food businesses and agriculture. Um, I think native agriculture is like so interesting, like contemporary mm. native agriculture these days and how tribes are using their resources to, um, to grow food, which is the, which is a definition of food sovereignty, you know, the ability mm-hmm. to feed yourself. And, you know, it's cool to see actual like tribes using tribal funds and resources to do all these things with food. Quickly on that, sorry, are they mostly growing indigenous ingredients or are they growing all manner of things? Or like, what do you mean is that's so interesting about the way they're allocating their funds for agriculture? Definitely some, uh, many of them are using their, you know, the, their agriculture businesses are focused on indigenous foods and then, and then not, you know, uh, Navajo Nation has like a big old flour meal and flour mm-hmm. and wheat is not part of, you know, traditional indigenous food. Um, you know, I'm also talking about like using their resources as a, as a tribe to protect, uh, indigenous food. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a couple of examples, uh, you know, are like protecting the water for agriculture, mm-hmm. for drinking, <laughs> yeah. right. protecting uh, wild salmon and protecting the environment because that's literally our food is what yes. is in the water right now in your state, in your neighborhood, around your city, in our communities. That is our wild. That is our food. That is our indigenous food. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. I don't think people get that. <laughs> yeah. that. That's the thing that people don't get. Like whatever's out there right now is indigenous food, unless it's like some kind of invasive species. Um, I'm starting to be like that, that dad on my big fat Greek wedding. Like, give me a word, any word. I'll show you that it comes from a Greek word. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> give, totally me food. give me any food. I'll show you that it has indigenous origin. <laughs> yes. That is amazing. I'm totally that person with podcasts. I'm like, oh, yeah. what is anyone talking about? All related back to a podcast that I listen to. Like, <laughs> so annoying. Like nerdiest person. Well, if you listened to that podcast last week, it's like, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) So what did you grow up celebrating? What are some traditional celebrations? How are people coming together around a table? And is there food present? Like traditional celebrations that happen. um, And it's different with every single tribe. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, coming of age ceremonies for Mm -hmm. young women and young men is a reason to gather and celebrate and have all kinds of food. That's where you see like a lot of traditional food coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, like here in the Pueblos, they all have their feast days. And that's when like the best red chili stew is made. And um, if you guys ever come <laughs> come down for, um, 
you know, to New Mexico, like finding out when the Pueblos these days are. And there's 19 Pueblos here in New Mexico. They all have a different feast day where they just go all out with making (sighs) food and bread. If you, if you need like some good bread to be obsessed with Pueblo bread. Always. Good. It is my favorite kind of bread. I don't know why it's so different from like just regular, you know, sourdough, uh-huh. <laughs> but, but Pueblo bread is just this whole thing. Um, oh man, I'm so jealous. And, I'm so yeah. sick of being in the Northeast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, so, so the, the, there's those things, um, you know, whenever communities host powwows, that that's the uh, you know reason to gather and celebrate with your family. Different like fairs too. Navajo Nation, we have the big Navajo Nation fair, and then like four other fairs <laughs> that people come together and and celebrate and have you know Navajo fair foods and you know all, all kinds of all kinds of different celebrations like that. So we we love to come together and celebrate. Well, when are we booking a flight to Albuquerque? I know. God, I would love to spend some time with her. Oh, also, guys, she did a Friday faves for us. Oh, um, yes. So it will be out tomorrow oh. on our Instagram, but we've got her favorite beer, uh, some of her favorite indigenous uh, food producers, a bunch of her favorite things. So please check it out. Um, she's just a obviously a killer chick, and we love speaking with her. So. So thank you, Andy, for coming on the show and being our guest. Everyone, please follow Twisted Toasted Sister. Also Twisted Sister. Twisted Sister, you know what? <laughs> Toasted what Sister. Lee Long Face. Blonde. Yeah. Long, yeah, blonde. That guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Hats. Right? Hats. Didn't you know makeup. A lot of hats? A lot of makeup. Makeup, makeup, makeup. Who am I thinking of? Anyway, Toasted Sister. <laughs> Um, you can listen to it wherever you get your podcast. Follow her on Insta. Buy some merch on Toasted Sister, Sister Podcast. Don't Just like come. us. That's it's right. Add that podcast at the end. Oh yeah, Follow us at Having a Night, Having a Night Podcast.com. Thank you, Colin, for being our rock. And we'll see you all next week. Have a good Super Bowl. If that's oh, something yeah. you're into. Hey. Have some have snacks. A, hey, yeah. if you want to watch us do chip hour and talk about the Super Bowl, watch our IGTV, which will be on our Instagram page. Okay, we love you. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.